Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. The off-peak movie season inspires varying responses depending on your outlook. If you're positive and optimistic, you may very well welcome movies that break with convention, that tell new kinds of stories and use their low budgets as a spur to creativity. If you veer more towards the cynical and impatient, of course, all you see is that many of these stories make very little sense and are often a bit of a waste of a perfectly good cast. This hit goes out to you, Mr. Wick. Woke up this morning. 42 regular, wasn't it? Yeah. And so it begins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, the best you can say about pot boilers like John Wick 4, Super Mario Brothers, Evil Dead Rise and Dungeons and Dragons is they do the business without too much strain on their audience's intelligence. If you occasionally nod off for a while midway through, rest assured it won't affect your enjoyment. Like a sports event or a TV whodunit, all that matters is that it ends well. The only way John Wick will ever have freedom and peace is in death. Yeah, not really. But after a few weeks of movies that simply satisfy low expectations, you do find yourself ready for something, if not more nourishing, than at least a bit surprising. And this week I'm happy to announce that the off-season seems to be drawing to a close. Leading the way is the latest Marvel Comics blockbuster, and before everyone starts leaving the room, I can tell you that it's, believe it or not, rather good. I'll try and explain why in a minute or two. Peter, you know this is an open line, right? We're listening to everything you're saying. And it is painful. And you're just telling me now? We were hoping it would stop on its own. But I switched it over to private. What color button did you push? Blue, for the blue suit. Oh, no. There are also two Cannes Film Festival nominees, including one winner, the Blue Kaftan, both coincidentally set in North Africa. Morocco's Blue Kaftan boasts that rare thing in most Arab films I've seen recently, a thoroughly decent male character. Meanwhile, Cairo Conspiracy is set in Egypt. So for all you lovers of foreign language clips on this show, I bring you not one, but two films entirely in Arabic. For the rest, I can offer a small New Zealand documentary that's appearing in good cinemas around the country. It's called Joss. It's the story of someone most of us have never heard of, a Czech immigrant called Joseph Divish, who came to New Zealand in the dying days of the gold rush and became, almost despite himself, a significant photographer. 
History is full of stories of accidental heroes. He was a simple living man, and yet he was an absolute genius. A forgotten photographer ahead of his time. It's a labour of love for the two filmmakers, researcher Robin Jaynes and director, cinematographer and editor Dave Quant, but also for the two men whose interest inspired the movie. Simon Nathan was interested in the history of the South Island's west coast, while Brian Scatton is a photography historian and collector of ancient cameras. And the hook of Joss is watching Brian attempt to recreate some of Joss Divish's best photographs using the same equipment. His name fell away, so it took someone to lift the lid. It's a jigsaw puzzle when you don't know how many pieces there are. We're cropping slightly. His photos were special, so different from anybody else. What draws you into the documentary, Joss, isn't Divish's riveting life story or that he's some sort of overlooked master. It's the picture of New Zealand being born before our eyes. The places, the people, the change from the posed colonial portraits to contemporary snapshots. His work is of national importance. I was arrested on the 14th of February, 1941. He was either a Nazi spy or a communist spy, or I'm an astronaut. Divish arrived in time for the last hurrah of the gold mining era just after World War I. He even struck it rich more than once. But like so many successful miners, once he found it, he spent it immediately. By the end, very little remained after 50 years living in a country that was never really his. Apart from the photos, many of which featured Joss himself standing awkwardly at one side of the frame. If he were alive today, he would be right up the top. I call him the inventor of the selfie. Just so many of his shots, he's in them. But unlike the modern selfie, Joss Divish isn't putting himself forward. These pictures are not about him. He's just a witness, capturing something that will otherwise vanish unremarked. The film Joss is a bit like that too. At just 46 minutes long, it's a glimpse at two lives, Joss and the young country he watched grow up. Well, there can hardly be a bigger contrast with the year's first big blockbuster. Here comes Guardians of the Galaxy 3. We were gone for quite a while. But no matter what happens next, the galaxy still needs its guardians. A few years ago, I made the bold claim that the best producer in Hollywood was Marvel Comics' Kevin Feige. All those early pictures, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, culminating in the all-star Avengers, not only had size and scope, but good characters, good scripts, and an admirably light touch. There's been speculation that I'm parading around as a superhero. I'm just not the, the hero type. Clearly. Above all, they had that Hollywood staple over the decades, heart. Now, there's a fine line between sentiment and cheese, just as there's one between thrilling action and unpleasant violence. And for ten years, Kevin Feige trod them both like an ace tightrope walker. I can do this all day. Yeah, I know. I know.
But since then, the Marvel movies have started to stall. There are too damn many of them, for one thing, and too many plot points over too many years we're all expected to keep up with. Feige the movie wizard has turned into Feige the comic book geek. The one Marvel director who seems to remember what makes an action-adventure movie work is the Guardians of the Galaxy auteur James Gunn. And he's proved it a few times now. Hello. We come in peace. <laughs> come on, Drax. Seriously, dude? No, dude, no, no! Ow! <laughs> Ten years ago, the first Guardians film arrived pretty much unheralded. It featured characters no one had heard of. They included a neurotic raccoon, an ambulatory tree, an enormous chap who may be the stupidest character in movies, and two homicidal sisters, one green, one blue. Whoever it was that you were in love with, it sounds more like her. Her? Do not bring me into this. (laughs) Knock it off! What? The cast members weren't much more of a safe bet. The biggest names, Zoe Saldana, Bradley Cooper, Vin Diesel, were either covered in makeup or merely voices attached to digital effects. They were led by a podgy comedian called Chris Pratt, who spent time in the gym and came out as legendary hero Star Lord. Except no one calls him that. They just call him Peter Quill. If that. And maybe. Maybe if if you open yourself up to it, there's a possibility. I don't think so, Quinn. Quill. Quill. No one expected anything of Guardians of the Galaxy until it hit big, thanks to a terrific script by James Gunn, beautifully directed, again, by James Gunn. Well, he did it again, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and then suddenly fell foul of the 2020s. I just never noticed how black your eyes were. They were replaced by my father as a method of torture. He he picked a pretty set. Some tasteless old tweets from his feckless youth came out to bite him, and suddenly Gunn found himself cancelled. But of course, nobody's so cancelled in Hollywood that they can't come back if there's a buck in it. Marvel's rivals, DC Comics, snapped him up to make a sequel to the fairly ho-hum Suicide Squad. And Gunn defied all expectations again by making the follow-up several times better than the original. I want you all to know that I'm grateful to fight beside my friends. Incinerate them. Now no longer cancelled, James Gunn was rehired by Marvel to make the third and final Guardians of the Galaxy. That's right, you heard right. Number three is that almost unheard of phenomenon, a final episode of a successful franchise. And it's proved a winner across the board. We were always searching for a family. Until we found each other. Ready for one last ride? It's funny, it's sweet, it breaks the rules properly, that is, without breaking the movie. It's particularly deft balancing the supposed central love story between Peter and Gamora, Zoe Saldana. I'm Star-Lord. I formed the Guardians. Met a girl, fell in love. That girl died. But then she came back. 
Gamora, you may or may not remember, was caught up in conflicting timelines to return from the dead in a previous episode, which means she now has no idea who the previous love of her life is. Came back a total dick. Oh, please. He left out some important information, but that is the gist of it. Meanwhile, more plots are lining up in parallel timelines. Here comes supervillain the High Evolutionary. As played by Chuck Wadi Iwuji, he's proof that, once again, the secret of villainy is to put in a few years at the Royal Shakespeare Company. My sacred mission is to create the perfect society. He didn't want to make things perfect. He just hated things the way they are. Another plotline involves past villainy from the high evolutionary. It seems he was the evil genius who created Rocket, a bitter, twisted raccoon with more baggage than the Orient Express. According to Gunn, it was only the prospect of finally telling Rocket's story that persuaded him to return to the Guardians one last time. And me and my friends are going to go flying together into the forever and beautiful sky. Lila and Teeps and Floor and me. Rocket. Now you can see Guardians of the Galaxy 3 has just as much plot as the most cluttered of recent Marvel fare. But unlike them, somehow you never feel crowded out by too much exposition or endless action sequences. And we'll kill anyone who gets in our way. No, not kill anyone. Kill a few people. Kill no people. Kill one guy, one stupid guy who no one loves. Now you're just making it sad. One of the reasons is that the characters of the various Guardians are all so clearly drawn and therefore work so well together. Peter Quill is nominally the heroic lead, a sort of goofy hand solo, but the others are just as strong. Drax, stay here with Rocket. Watch him, that's who they're coming for. I want to come. No, Mantis, watch Drax. Groot, you know what to do with these. Mantis, Nebula, Drax, and especially Rocket all get good emotional beats in this episode. But the through line of the trilogy is marked by Groot of all people. Or of all things, or trees, or whatever. From looming bodyguard in the first film to mischievous twig in the second and glowering teenager in the Avengers movies, he's now finally growing up in Guardians 3 and all with just one line, I am Groot. I am Groot? You're all just making up stuff that he's saying, right? No. Analogy. Is it? Metaphor. There's a great gag shared by musicians when confronted by someone effortlessly talented. Ain't it easy when you know how? James Gunn has left Marvel with one last great movie and has now taken over DC's notoriously accident-prone movie department. Can he succeed where so many have failed? Well, I wouldn't bet against him, though I'd love to see him try his hand at a real movie sometime. We'll all fly away together. Into the forever... And beautiful sky.
There's been an unusual amount of interest in the Arab world in movies recently. Following Huda's Salon a week or so ago, not to mention Rafe Fiennes and The Forgiven before that, this week sees two, The Blue Kaftan and Cairo Conspiracy. Cairo Conspiracy, directed by Swedish-Egyptian filmmaker Tarek Saleh, started out in life under the more cryptic title Boy From Heaven. Sane was inspired by Umberto Eco's novel and later movie, The Name of the Rose, in which he smuggled philosophic questions about power and religion into a medieval whodunit. Cairo Conspiracy tackles similar subjects from a Muslim angle, but in the guise of a John le Carré spy thriller. Najan. The story opens in a poor fishing village where young Adam works for his father. But fate has plans for him. His local imam, impressed by his hard work at school, has put his name forward to the Al-Azhar University, the centre of Sunni Islam. Adam gets the good news, a scholarship. Devout, literate and humble, Adam seems to be an ideal student at such a place. But no sooner has he arrived in Cairo when events take a dramatic turn. The grand imam suddenly dies and all attention turns on who will replace him. The government takes a very keen interest. In fact, the president for life has already made it clear who he wants to take that role. His chief secret service operative, Colonel Ibrahim, is ordered to fix the election. Ibrahim already has spies in high places, but his best-placed one, Zizo at Al-Azhar, is nervous. Zizo wants out before his cover is blown, and he thinks he's found the angel to replace him. He's young, he's religious, he's only just arrived from the sticks. Adam's your man. Zizo's paranoia proves justified. No sooner has he struck up a friendship with young Adam than he's brutally murdered in the street. But for Colonel Ibrahim, there's no point crying over murdered spies. He's got an election to fiddle and rival candidates to discredit. He bullies Adam into providing him with information. But what lifts Cairo conspiracy above the usual Netflix thriller is the characters of Ibrahim and Adam. The former, scruffy, good at his job, ruthless, is also not as corrupt as he appears. And Adam, the virtuous boy who's literally worn the shoes of the fisherman, if I can mix my religious metaphors, may be naive, but he's no idiot. (laughs) 
في حد طلب مني اعمل حاجه انت قمت بالمهمه على افضل وجه بعد المغرب تطلع من نفق لذيذ ورهولك The spymasters, the cynical politicians and the sinister Muslim Brotherhood all try and get him to toe the various lines. But Adam proves he's a hard man to corrupt for the simple reason that he's not after anything. He's not seeking power or even advancement at Al-Azhar. He just wants to do the right thing. And as they say, you can't cheat an honest man. In other words, he's the boy from heaven, Cairo Conspiracy's original title. And we spend the movie hoping such a man will get out in one piece for a change. The question his father asks him is, what have you learnt? But this is a story of how a student becomes a teacher. The message seems to be, don't underestimate someone just because they're virtuous. Goodness knows, that's something we wish were true in real life. السلطة سلاح ذو حدين ممكن تقطع ايدك بسهولة The Blue Kaftan, a prize winner at Cannes last year, is just the second feature by Moroccan writer-director Mariam Touzani. Mariam trained in the UK and then, unlike many Arab filmmakers, she came back home to make her movie. And this one is clearly rooted in the Medinas of Morocco. Husband and wife Halim and Mina run a traditional clothing store in the oldest quarter of the city. He's the talent, she's the businesswoman, though business right now is slowing down. Despite the obvious quality of Halim's work, he's finding himself priced out by his mass-produced rivals. But Halim insists on keeping his standards high, which is probably why he goes through so many apprentices. However, he has higher hopes for his latest one, pretty boy Yusuf. Mina is less confident and suspects that Halim is being distracted by the star-struck Yusuf. It's never discussed, but Mina is clearly aware that her husband is gay in a country where it's punishable by imprisonment or worse. Watching Halim's secretive visits to the local bathhouse, we have our suspicions where the blue caftan could be heading. After all, we've been well softened up by previous movies from that part of the world. Secrets, lies, religious bigotry, the woman suffers, a bad ending. Don't worry, I was thinking pretty much along the same lines. <laughs> But that's not this story. In fact, the one faintly predictable thing about the blue kaftan is watching Halim and Yusuf meticulously cutting and sewing the title garment and knowing that once the kaftan is completed, then so is the movie. <laughs> 
That certainly happens, though not how you're expecting it. Also, while the film has been sold on the strength of the forbidden love of Halim and Yusuf, it's not quite that either, or not just that. The performances of the two men are beautifully judged, all meaning glances and desperate distractions. But this is just as much Mina's film. Yusuf! Lubna Azabal as Mina was actually born in Belgium, of all places. I first saw her in a film called Incendie that also introduced the world to director Denis Villeneuve. She was wonderful in that film, but I'm not sure she isn't even better here, working in a smaller world. As the business suffers because Halim refuses to cut corners, Mina is under pressure from demanding clients. But her main concern is her own failing health. She worries that Halim won't be able to cope, that Yusuf may be out to exploit him. And of course, there's the constant fear of the police in homophobic Morocco. And yet, despite all this, the blue caftan isn't remotely grim. It's a film steeped in love, particularly between Halim and Mina. And the most endearing thing about the couple is watching them joke, even when things are going badly. There's a scene where Mina insists on going with Halim to the cafe to watch the football, a subject she knows next to nothing about. Surrounded by all men and puffing enthusiastically on a cigarette, she cheers at a goal, even if it's a goal from the wrong team. But the best scene in the blue caftan is of Mina and the two men in her life quietly dancing together by the living room window. In a film about the impermanence of life, it's almost heartbreakingly sweet. In other words, it's a real movie, to which I can only say, that's more like it. And as hopefully a few more creep over the windowsill, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.